Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Broke Down Podcast. This is episode 21. My name is Jonathan and I'm really happy that you're with me. We've got a cool episode here today. There's a lot going on, so I'm going to kind of dive right into it. Let's see, we've got um, we've got Phil Cook on the show. You know, may know Phil Cook from his work with Megaphone, his solo work. He's uh, produced the Blind Boys from Alabama and he plays with his Golden Messenger. He is out there everywhere and he is amazing and we have him here on the show. So that's pretty cool. Um, but first I want to talk to you about Delfest. So I mentioned to you all last episode I was going to be at Delfest and I did go there. I went with uh, some of my compatriots, RJ and Matt from Helping Friendly Podcast. We went representing the Osiris Podcast Network. I just want to tell you, of course, that this podcast, the Broke Down Podcast, is part of the Osiris Network, and Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about and with the artists and topics that you love. So, um, you know, we're doing a bunch of live events this summer around the country, uh, including artist interviews and contests and all that kinds of stuff. And you can stay in touch with that at OsirisPod.com. You can also follow OsirisPod on the Twitter and uh, the Instagrams. And uh, Osiris is a media partner of Relics Magazine. And you can, of course, keep up with awesome music news at relics.com. And one of the things we did, we went to Delfest. We helped with the daily press conferences. Uh, RJ moderated the press conferences. I uh, asked some questions, and we met a bunch of the artists. Did you hear that thunder? That thunder's a throwback to Delfest. We saw some great storms at Delfest, and we saw a ton of great music, and it was... An absolute wonderful time. It was my first time there, and it was uh, everything it's cracked up to be and way, way more. Um, the location in Cumberland, Maryland is beautiful, uh, super family vibe. There were tons of kids, and it was a safe environment, but there's also kind of, uh, you know, a lot of the, the Grateful Dead kind of family that we like to be around, uh, mixed right up in with the straight-up bluegrass heads. Um I gave away a ton of stickers. The the old logo stickers still had uh, a bunch left. I gave away a ton of them at the show, and people were really kind and uh, excited to get them. And I hope that some of you out there listening to this today were uh, were recipients of some of those stickers. Um, There was just a terrific lineup. I could could not possibly list them all unless I read them. Wow, the thunder is really kicking up. Picked a great time to record this. Um... But let's see, I saw Joe Craven and his band. They're doing uh, stuff from a new record of, of Garcia stuff, Garcia material. And it was, that was terrific and a lot of fun. Del, of course, Del McCurry is such a gracious gentleman and it's got an outstanding band. And the Saturday night set, uh, they called it the Bluegrass Congress. And it was a dream. It was full of just amazing guests. There are four mandolin players outside, out there on stage. Uh, Richard Thompson sat in. And, of course, Richard Thompson played that day. He played earlier in the day. And uh, if you don't know Richard Thompson, you should. Of course, he was a founding member of Fairport Convention. He went on to make records with his then-wife, Linda Thompson. And they made amazing records. And he's still out there just doing great stuff. He played solo on Saturday. Um, he, and then he even attended the press conference. I had the honor of meeting him, shaking his hand, even asked a question of him. And uh, we'll go ahead and play you a little bit of that press conference right now. Very much in the line of this conversation is the, uh, 
the tradition, the oral tradition of bluegrass music and whatnot came over from the immigrants who came over from the UK, but yourself, uh, what, thanks to mass communication and records and whatnot, what did you draw back from the States, if anything, and uh, that into your music? Oh, lots and lots and lots. Um, whoops. Uh, well, I, th I think you have to recognize that, that, that probably since um, Stephen Foster, we're talking 18, what, 40 or something? Uh, you know, American music has been, has gone back to Europe. Uh, and with the advent of the, of the gramophone, um, that, that kind of accelerated uh, and, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, jazz, swing, um, blues, uh, all, the, all the popular genres, country, <clears throat> bluegrass, etc., um, old-timey, all came back through, through recordings um, to, to Europe, and um, and you had pockets of fanatics uh, in various parts of Europe um, who loved some some or all of these genres. You know, so you had the, the you know you had Mick and Keith in in, in uh, unfashionable East London, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, finding blues records in in um, quite difficult to find uh, in London at the time, and um, you know, creating this kind of weird. Um, new hybrid uh, of, of the blues and, and kind of um, even like misunderstanding the blues slightly to decorate the Rolling Stones. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> uh, you know, Mick Jagger's accent is, is, is from so somewhere on another planet. Really, it, it's, it's not. It's not British. It's not American. It, it, it's it's sort of mixed fantasy of, of what an American accent is supposed to sound like. And it just it, it kind of doesn't really succeed. But but somehow they, they make unbelievably good records. Um, <laughs> Um, so, um, so, 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 I mean, for me, hearing bluegrass c c come back, and I've probably been listening to bluegrass records since about the mid '60s, um, and seeing people like um, Rambler Jack Elliott in, in London, people, people like Daryl Adams uh, coming through London, um, you know, you, re you, re you realize that, 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 that it, it, it's very close. You know, that, that the traditions are very close. Uh, the, the Scots-Irish thing that, that, that went to the Appalachians and the Smoky Mountains um, uh, never got that far away. And in some cases, um, uh, I mean, I can give you an instance of a song. Uh, King Henry Fights the French. It's a traditional song. Um, uh, and it was virtually extinct in the UK. It's a song about King Henry V, 14-something, uh, events leading up to the Battle of Agincourt. Uh, and and the, the, the songs that seems to have been lost in, in the UK, they, they, they find it in, in uh, Cade's Cove, uh, wherever that is. I can't remember where that is now. I think it's like the Carolinas. Um, Smoky Mountains. Smoky Mountains, yeah, it's very National Park. Okay, Cade's Cove. Um, they, they find someone singing this song in the 1930s hmm. uh, about you know, events in Europe. I mean, why would, someone get, why would generations keep singing this song hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later? Uh, it, it's weird, but, but in these isolated communities, it, you had sometimes um, uh, the, the, these, these European traditions better preserved than they were in Europe, mm -hmm. where, where, they, where they tended to die out quicker. So, um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, you know, so, so seeing bluegrass sort of coming, coming, coming back, um, it, 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 to me, it just, just seems very close. It's just almost like a little, just a little twist on, on, on Scots, Irish, English traditions. Yeah, very long-winded answer. Thank you. <laughs> very nice, concise question. <laughs> okay, so then that night he came out and sat in with Dell and company, played fifty-two Vincent Black Lightning, which is so cool. Um, they talked a bit about that in the 
the press conference the next day, Dell talked about it, and he was uh, really gracious and really excited. Um, and uh, with other other great groups, some of these were discoveries for me. Uh, the John Stickley Trio. That guy is a great guitar player and uh, good, good, good band. Really good band. Um, I saw a um, bluegrass group playing Grateful Dead called uh, uh, The Grass Is Dead or something like that. Yeah, I think it was The Grass Is Dead. John Stickley sat in with them and they were they were terrific. Uh, I walked up on their set and they were playing a really, really thumping version of Stranger. And uh, we, we had a good time with that. Uh, I saw Mountain Ride, and I got to meet them too. They were very cool. Um, they're from Southern PA, Bluegrass Group, and they're dead fans themselves. I'm going to try to get them on the show, and we can learn more about them in the future. Um, Billy Strings, uh, he I, for, I've been hearing so much about this guy. He's an amazing player. There's a great interview with him over on the, uh, the Sound with Ira. Uh, it's an Osiris podcast. You should check that out. And, um, and of course, Green Sky. I'd never seen Green Sky. People will talk about Green Sky and I've seen them and uh, blah, blah, blah. And they were really good. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we didn't get there on Thursday night, so we missed the String Dusters, who are, of course, always terrific. And, man, there are just so many more groups. Um, Sam Bush, Ricky Skaggs. Just, I was in Fat City. There was good music all the time. And that doesn't even account for everything that was going on after the stages were shut down people were picking in the gazebo and in the campsites all night long and it was it was wonderful yeah it was wonderful so i was going to play you dark hollow because grateful dead sort of content but who am i kidding i really want to play you the 1952 vincent black lightning with richard thompson and the del mccrory band from Delfest 11 on 5-26-2018. I hope you enjoy it. Don't mind dying before 
the original right there. That's Richard Thompson. Okay, and that was just a little bit from the Bluegrass Congress set. Um, that was a big treat for me to hear and to see, and I hope you guys uh, enjoyed it as well. Let's turn the corner. We'll leave the leave Delfest behind for now, although we're a little sad to do so because it was just it was just outstanding. Um, and let me tell you about our next guest. So we have Phil Cook. Phil Cook is a songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, guitar and keyboards, and I've seen him play a little banjo with the megaphone. And He is uh, presently a member of His Golden Messenger. He's, as I said before, produced The Blind Boys of Alabama and others, and he has a new record. It is called People Are My Drug, and it came out on June 1st. So you can get it on, uh, on all the internet places and whatnot uh, right now. And I think it'll be in stores on the 22nd. Uh, But you can go to philcookmusic.com and they will point you to the right place. He is uh, going out on the road. He's actually playing some shows this week. He's playing in Washington, D.C. on June 8th. That's a Friday with Jake Xerces Fussell at Songbird. And Jake will be opening for him again on the 10th, Sunday night at Rough Trade in Brooklyn. And you guys should go and check that out. He, uh, I think he, let's slip in here, he'll be at the Eau Claire Festival this summer, and he's also going to, then he'll be going out on the road again with uh, His Golden Messenger for a bunch of dates, and then he'll be at Pickathon in August, and I think uh, Tractor Tavern in Seattle. Um, go ahead and take a look at his website, that's philcookmusic.com for more dates, uh, Phil and I just sat down and chatted just the other day, and it was delightful. I really appreciated him coming on, so thank you to Phil, and here you are, everybody. So yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Um, uh, I'm going to just jump right in, if that's all right. Yeah, um, for I figure sure. we'll talk about the record and the tour, and then the uh, you know a little Grateful Dead stuff because that's what the people want, and uh, and that's I, what people want. Yeah, and I'm excited to, uh, you know, spread the word of uh, Phil Cook with uh, with my listeners. So, oh, that's great, man. Yeah, I'm a, you know, as you know, I'm a big fan, and I've been following you since Megaphone. And um, dude, you've been coming to all the shows, dude. You've been to, like, I think you haven't missed a damn DC show in geez, dude, like nine years or something, or eight years. So it's pretty, pretty, pretty profound. I wish that were exactly accurate, but uh, it's it's been I've, I've tried to be too, tried to be at a lot of them um, best I can. Yeah. yeah. So um, and let's see. So there was Megaphone, and then you've done um, did uh, Hungry Mother Blues, which was a bit very solo little EP that I I, I adore. And then uh, Southland Mission was your last record, and now the new one is called People Are My Drug, which is a is a beautiful. I think there's a beautiful sentiment there. Can you? Uh, Let's maybe t- tell me a little bit about the name and uh, how it maybe yeah. reflects what people will hear on the record. I'll tell you the exact moment that the name bolted into my head like lightning. And I was like, oh my God, this is what the record title is, which is like you live for those moments when your Eureka strikes, you know? So uh, 
I was at a show um, last fall organized by my friend Kim, and it was at a uh, um, a dimly lit queer bar in Raleigh, North Carolina, day party during Hopscotch Festival. And uh, she had me come um, play. I'm sorry. They had me come play. And I'm there playing. And it was a fun day. All the things were there. But I had a ton of friends. And I realized all these people I'm watching at this, you know, dingy little red, red lit bar um, at like the noon hour where you walk out in the daylight and your eyes take like a minute to adjust, you know, <laughs> it was like, um, these people that I've known for, you know, um, upwards of a decade, you know, which is a substantial fraction of my life at this point. And, um, I love them so much. And I was watching Kim play with, uh, their band Lomelands. Oh. And I just had this little, just thought where I'm like, I get a little high every single time I see Kim. I just get a little high when I see her. I, you know, it's like, it's there. And I'm like, you know, damn, People are my drug. I just had this thought. It's like as soon as I had that thought, it was like people are my drug, and I'm like, holy shit, that's totally the name of the record that I'm gonna make. You know what I mean? I didn't even that's have awesome. all the songs chosen here, the songs written, but I knew what the name of the record was gonna be, which is cool. So did that um, kind of steer you as you continued writing and gathering your material for the record? It it ended up man, it ended up being sort of like a guidepost the whole process of the record, which was awesome. And, you know, um, my brother, well, because uh, you've, you've spent time around him as, as well, but, you know, he was at the production helm. And, um, you know, we just we just went into this record, kind of crashed right through the whole process of doing everything. I think the first record, I, I look at Southland Mission as the first thing that I've ever actually done with my life. Like, that's how I kind of look at it. I've done so many things, but that seems like the first thing I have ever done um, for real, you know? And so um, it just took me 35 years to make it, you know, <laughs> that one. And that's how I look at it. So this one was sort of a little bit like, I was just wondering for a couple of years after I put out Southland, I'm like, I wonder what's going to be the next thing I put out when, I don't know, I'm not sure. Just waiting for inspiration to strike. And my bandmates, uh, specifically my bandmate and keyboardist, James Wallace, who's just an incredible human being, full of light and wonder. And I love that's He's one of the people that are my drug. James uh, just over Peter's one night. It's like, all right, man, what are we doing? <laughs> I'm like, what? He's like, we got, he's like, what, what, what's up, man? What, 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 what do we got in the books? What do we got to do? What, what, what are we, you know, I was like, you know, I'm waiting. He's like, no, no, no. Like, let's let's book some studio time and just go make go make a record. And I was like, God, dude, you're totally right. I'll, I don't know why it took me that long to think about it. I just needed a friend that was just like, I'm an external guy. You know, what I, mean? I just needed a friend that would just basically that basically just kind of like gently punched me in the arm and said, Hey, let's go, let's do another thing. And I was like, Okay. And so by the end of the conversation, I had called and booked time at a studio six months from that moment. I was like, okay, I got six months to write. Or it, was, it might not it might have been even five months. Oh. Yeah, that's a good, uh, like, that's a good driver. If you wait too yeah, long for the next I... record, I'll, I'll remember to reach out and say, hey, Phil, <laughs> hey, it's time to make that next record. Give me a punch in the arm. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, man. I mean, that we crashed through it, but you know, like I, like I said, Brad, you know, Brad was confident the whole time leading up to it. You know, I was 
just writing some demos. I had some um, arrangements of, of some of my favorite songs that I want to bring in this time and just kind of do some interpretations. And, um, you know, Brad was just convinced the whole time. He was like, two days. It's all we need, two days. And I was just like, dude, we have a whole, we have eight days booked at the studio. And he was like, two. We only need two. And I'm like, I'm going to keep seven. How about that? <laughs> How about we do, you know, like, so it was great. It ended up being great because, um, you know, we just went through it. And so I just had my guys with me that I found basically after Southland Mission, with the exception of James. I've got um, on drums, a guy from Minneapolis, uh, a really incredible soul and uh, sort of the spirit animal of the band. His name is JT Bates. And he's top call uh, Minneapolis session drummer. And he also is like, you know, a jazz musician and plays, I mean, but he plays with all kinds of groups and he's the kind of guy who plays most of the week in Minneapolis. He, you know, when he's home, he probably has three or four weekly gigs that he's hidden and playing and little things. So I'm lucky that he, that I get to take him out on the, on tour because he's really busy at home. Um, So anyway, I got him and I got this incredible uh, bass player from Asheville, uh, Michael Liebermento, who's a multi-instrumentalist extraordinaire. And bass is uh, his third instrument. <laughs> uh, but that's what he plays in my band, and he's just just phenomenal. Um, and has a ear. I mean, I grew up in a small city, and I, I have, I've always had like a, a ear. You know, like I always figure things out by ear. I, I, you know, it's like how I learn music by ear. So I'm an ear player. But Michael's ear is... In just phenomenal. I mean, I'm I'm in awe of what he's able to do. Most of what he's able to retain off of one listen to anything, he can retain the map of the song, the key, the the form. Uh, you know, little licks when things come in and out. He just he just knows it. He just it's just perfectly like a picture in his head. Um, so he's great. And then I got James Wallace on piano and keyboards. Um, and he was just kind of, uh, you know, he was the first dude that I, I was for. I formed the Guitar Heels, and he and I were hanging out a lot. And that was like, James really would love it if you were like the first person that officially joined my band. And so that was back in like 2014, or maybe even late 2013. Uh, so we we've been playing together. You know, he's been my constant. Did we miss anybody? Uh, that's the touring band okay. um, uh, for um, for kind of the default touring band, and that was the band that recorded all live together. Um, and we made that record um, in two days, like my brother said, with that quartet. <laughs> um, and then right. I just had to return to North Carolina. Um, I had a friend, a couple friends in Minneapolis that came over and did some really um, little things. Uh, Chastity Brown, she was a great singer. She sings on a tide of life and on steam power. And then I went, uh, then we, then we just basically, I took a day and just did one pass of vocals. And then we went back to North Carolina and I got like, you know, uh, two fiddle, two different fiddle players, a mandolin player, um, uh, uh, five different singers (laughs) and a whole gospel choir. So 10 singers all in like four days. Wow. That happened all in four days, and then we mixed. Then we just mixed the record, and it was done. So all in all, it was it was ten days um, to just make the record, which was completely different. South Bend was like thirty five years to basically experience life, and then write that shit, and then it took six months to make that 
to make it and you know re-sang i re-sang that one like six times seven times and like had to there was little edits we had to just edit things just like whatever you know just to make it the statement and this was way more of just uh i want to just show what my band sounds like this is what my band sounds like so nice. you know and these are all the players i surrounded myself with it's all the guitar heels so tamisha waden it's got a like great gospel voice she's all over the record amelia meath and her voice is all over the record. And then um, Brevin Hampton is just my um, percussionist who is um, um, Durham, born and bred. And his dad uh, was Luther Vandross's drummer um, <laughs> and played a whole bunch of sessions with like Cindy Lauper and was this, like he was a, a pro and all three of his sons are professional you know, professional touring and gigging drummers. And so Brevin is the youngest of the three brothers. And he got into Latin music because his brothers were drum set players. So he plays like, he was a killer set player. He's great. And whenever JT can't come, I get Brev Brevin's like, like right there behind. He knows all the songs. So he's great on drums, but he's a killer. Um, uh, Kunga and uh, his tambourine playing is just absolutely out of this world. So Anyway, so that's pretty cool. And then I got this great gospel choir, and I got these great fiddle players, Bobby Britt. Um, and Ryan Gustafson plays fiddle on one tune. He's, like, just kind of learning fiddle, but I wanted to have the song that he played on to have him play fiddle. And he's like, are you sure? I mean, I can right. play banjo. And I was like, no, no, nah. I want <laughs> you to play fiddle, man. I want that sound. So, yeah. And then Andrew Marlin from Mandolin Orange um, is on one track. So it's pretty cool, man. And then Mountain Man, which is Amelia Meath's like um, um, Amelia Meath's uh, acoustic uh, acapella trio with two other women, um, Alex Saucermonic and Molly Sarley. Both of them have records coming out this year. Um, and so it's a phenomenal, it's like the phenomenal cast of, uh, of people. So it's funny, I was, uh, you were drawing the line as, uh, Southland Mission being the first thing that you've done, and and you know I didn't want to interrupt, but I was thinking to myself that well, you know it's clearly not. But before it was more collaborative work, you know, collaborating with Brad and Joe and, and Megaphon and um, and Justin yeah. and Durham and Edison and and all of that in the past. But it sounds like collaborating is still really what you're doing, even though you put yourself on the cover and stand out front. You're just still bringing in all of these people to to make a thing yeah i um i i've so far so far in my life uh which has been playing music which has been you know pretty much all of my life playing music for within a band for over 20 uh, you know i don't know 22 23 years i've been playing in bands now um you know music has just brought me um has just brought all these incredible people across my path um, just in people that, um, either share, it's just shared experience just, uh, that we have together and then we share for the rest of the time that in that sense. And also just, you know, being on the road and touring and, and being out there and being a part of this kind of larger organism, which is like creatives who travel, um, and are on the road and it becomes that world starts to become smaller and smaller. The more years you're on the road, you start to get, a map of what, um, you know, of the musicians and where they come from and when they're on the road and festivals offer you a chance to, you know, 
play with other people that, you know, you know a little bit and then you play with them and then you know them better only from playing with them, like for one song in this weird magical way that um, I just, I, I just have found like music to be a shortcut to lasting friendships um, as opposed to, you know, whatever other means. <laughs> there are so many other means to make friends. Yeah, I, I feel um, so, that. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned uh, festivals, so we were at uh, Dell Fest last weekend, and um, you mentioned Mandolin Orange, and got to meet them and see them, and uh, actually ran into Joe backstage, uh, Joe Westerland, right. and uh, had a nice chat with him. And um, uh, he, Amelia Meath, you mentioned her. I wanted to just shout out a couple of the tracks. So I haven't had the opportunity to hear the whole record yet because it comes out tomorrow. Uh, that'll be June first, which will be you know, a couple of days ago by the time everybody can hear this, but, um, Amelia sings on miles away. Yeah. And that is just beautiful. Her voice is amazing. And it's a real groovy song. And, um, the, another mother's son is as a parent that struck me immediately. Um, I think the last time I sat down to listen to that, uh, I was actually sitting beside my son at the table and i was like oh this is it's good dad stuff right here i really yeah beautiful song (laughs) but it goes a lot further than that too you know it gets into some i like a song that can start very personal and kind of expand a world and uh, that's it's a good trick to manage that yeah i i i appreciate it thanks jonathan i i like the um you know, I feel this, I feel the same way where it's not, you know, um, you know, I think the way to the personal and the political to be able to, um, you know, make something really personal is, um, in, in a lot of ways makes it, you know, the political statement that, um, you want to make, but, you know, to write a song like that, um, you know, which I under understood the whole time that I was, you know, new territory for me as a songwriter um, to just be getting into um, heavy um, cultural and, and, um, and problems with our, you know, broken um, justice system. And, uh, you know, I I just knew that it's a a crazy time, you know, it's a crazy time, but it's the time that it's, this is one of the times that, you know, that as a kid, I just read about and my parents told me about, and now we're in one of those times again, you know, and I, and I know that the example that was laid out for me by the people that I look up to from that generation was that silence is not an option. And, um, you know, you got to find the issues that you care deeply about, you know, and um, I think the, you know, the justice systems like extremely disproportionate um, treatment of the black community and communities of color in this country um, is needs to be healed. It needs, it needs a radical healing and it needs a, the justice system needs justice, you know, and, um, and just because an issue doesn't, it's an issue that doesn't affect my family. So why should I care? Right. You know what I mean? It's like for the, and that for, I think there are a lot of people that I know out there that, sympathize and are like, man, but are also really relieved that they're never going to have to deal with that. And I think that that thinking is what I realized is the disease. It's dangerous. Um, it's that, dangerous thinking. You know, that's dangerous thinking right there. It's really dangerous thinking, especially when, you know, I live in a 
in a city that is beautiful because of the black community that has established a culture in this city, you know, um, and, and in my hometown here, I just, you know, it, it matters to me, you know, I didn't grow up around diversity and I embrace the diversity that's here and I celebrate it, you know, and I know what matters in this city. It's not the restaurants and the cool shit and whatever Durham gets known for and why people from Brooklyn move here. Durham has been, a, in a, a radical city in the American South for many reasons, most of it having to do with the black history that this town, you know, that this town has seen and has come up with this town. So, um, you know, it, it is a really important issue in this city. Right on. And the other song that I have had the pleasure of hearing and I want to highlight is uh, Steam Powered Blues because uh, if for no other reason, then it's just a good jam, <laughs> <laughs> which, yeah, uh, you know, everybody needs a good jam sometimes. So, um, dude, it's so much fun and it gets to go to double time in the end. That shit is so fun, dude. And I think that that was the other part is that like, I got to write for my band and that's a dream to be able to know the strengths of each of the members of your band. And like, I knew when we were going into this record, like that song, I wrote that like little kind of that little riff that just opens up the record there. That's the first thing I wrote for um, people on my drug. And just like ain't it sweet. The guitar riff was the first thing I wrote for wow. South I mission. I was like, Oh my God, I'm making a record. That was the first thing I wrote for the people on my drug was you know, steam powered the guitar part. And so I, it was fun, man. And playful lyrics is fun. It's always fun to have like, you know, I like John Hartford. I love his mood of how he sings. I love how right. he's kind of tongue in cheek and witty and sort of also like doesn't take himself too seriously, um, but sings about, you know, sings from his heart. And I think that balance is something I wanted to strike with the song. And then at the same time, just let it be a jam, dude. Just let it go. And like, we can go off. And I knew uh, at this point, I've been singing with Tamisha for three years now. I knew exactly, you know, and she knows me. And it was great to finally go into a recording studio with her. Because uh, in Southland, I met her in the recording studio when she did Lowly Road oh, wow. with me. Um, that's when I met her, was when we recorded those vocals. And so now it's three years later, and I'm just like, all right, T, we're going to get to this part right here. And as soon as this drum fill happens, I want you to go fucking crazy. And she's like, you got it. And that was like, <laughs> boom. That was one, that one take, dude. That one take. And that was cool. It was like our mentality for the whole thing was just like two takes, three max if you need it, but let's do two takes of everything. So all the songs are basically two takes. So first or second take or um, live or you hear everything. And then all the overdubs, we just did the same mentality. We were just like, we'll let them hear it once and just talk through whatever it is. And then just give them a take. And if they need a second one and that second one, and we just, in that way, it just maintained that gut, not, they don't know it too well. We never, we didn't even know the material that well when we were completely recording it. We had just like learned it six days before that. You know what I mean? There's some realness about uh, it's live or live in the studio or just limiting your takes. It gives you a little bit of that hanging on by the skin of your teeth kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> so um, if, if with your permission, I'd like to play uh, Steam Powered Blues for everybody right here. And then yeah. uh, then after that, we'll we'll talk about some more things. Great, love it.
So um, I want to touch on the tour real quick. You've got a bunch of dates coming up. You're starting in D.C. next week. I'll be there. And I'm very excited because you've also you're bringing Jake Xerces Fussell along with you. And Jake is amazing. And uh, yeah, that's going to be a good show. You're playing uh, D.C. and then Brooklyn. And then then you're off for a little bit uh, until like just I think August where you're doing some West Coast stuff. Are you back out with uh, his yeah. Golden Messenger in between? Yeah, I'm out for I'm out with his for um, I'm out with his. We're doing we're gonna be the Guitar Heels will be at the Eau Claire's Music and Arts Festival, even though they're not announcing that lineup. We'll be there. I'm there every year, so oh. people know. Cool. Um, and then after that, I leave with his, and I'm gone until we leave. I leave from Newport Folk Festival with his to go to. Um, that's the West Coast tour with Guitar Heels and Daniel Norgren. So that would be cool. cool. And then we do, we're going to announce, and we announce, uh, we announced the, the fall tour. So yeah, we hit out in October and we're doing a whole October tour through like the South down to Texas up to like, um, up to Wisconsin and Minnesota and in Chicago and over to Boston and then down. So we'll, we'll be back in DC. Um, I believe again, or we might be doing, Maybe it's Richmond. You're doing so. Richmond actually, October 26th. But I, I don't That's know anybody right. who's paying very close attention. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm looking <laughs> at it, um, and I'm excited for that. But that's a ways off, so we're gonna um, really have a great time next week. Um, although when everybody's hearing that, that's this week, June 8th. They're in DC at Songbird, and then June 10th they're in Brooklyn at Rough Trade, which uh, this would be with Jake yeah. Xerxes Fussell. Jake is amazing. I had the pleasure of seeing him and meeting him when he played a, a house show here in Fredericksburg with Daniel Bachman a little while back. And, uh, it was terrific. Just guys, guys had outstanding talent. So I'll be there to see that as well. Man, that is so cool. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to play with Jake. You know, he and I have known each other of each other for a long time. And then we, we just, I had an opportunity to play a gig here and, um, in, in an art museum here in Durham. And so I just, I just asked Jake, I'm like, Jake, this is our chance. We're playing this as a duo. We're doing this. He's like, cool, man. So we got together and man, that dude is an encyclopedia yeah, of Southern American like music. And it was so fun to talk to him because he knows all these, you know, he grew up around uh, precious Bryant. He was a her accompanist as a kid, uh, you know, all this cool stuff. And he's just a phenomenal guitar player and um, I'm really excited to be on the road with him, man. He's just a cool, he's a good spirit. Boggles the mind, some of the things he can tell you. And just uh, the songs that he plays are just terrific, too. So yeah. um, speaking of people who are mind-bogglingly talented, um, and you've been working with uh, MC Taylor with, and his Golden Messenger for for a while. And, and I, and I got to say, I couldn't help but feel like there were some of maybe uh, some of your influence, like a thread running from Southland Mission into the, his last album, Hallelujah, Anyhow. Um, and But how is your time working with him influencing you as a writer and musician? Uh, he influences me every day I'm around him. He influences me as a human, I think, the most of all. Um, and as a dad, as just like a friend. Um, and then musically he just always inspires me to just be really just be really honest and vulnerable and just speak to my where i'm at in my life and just speak from my heart sing from my heart all those things you know that mike is just 
he really, he's a gospel singer and, you know, in that, in that true sense, um, you know, he's just present with what he's singing about and what he writes about. And it's so beautiful. I mean, he's such a poet, you know, um, and, and just an incredible conversationalist. And he just really believes in people, um, the people around him in a way that when I felt the way he trusted me, I couldn't help but just like pass that along when I play, when I have a band, you know, I model my leadership after how Mike does his. So yeah, he influences me in pretty much always. That's great. So, um, another slight tie into that band is that, um, you know, well, Megathon was not really shy about experimenting, but, um, uh, <laughs> his gold messenger has, has covered the grateful dead. Uh, I've heard, I've, I've personally seen you guys play brown eyed women and jam on Franklin's tower in the middle of Lucia. Um, yeah. you, uh, want to, uh, talk a moment about your relationship to the music of the grateful dead. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. I, um, um, my dad, Brad and I, um, were raised by, you know, um, a child of the counterculture and, you know, my dad was at the March on Washington, um, and you know, uh, had we've been putting together pieces of how much of a deadhead my dad was over the course of our life. Uh, <laughs> not always, not always from from his mouth, but mostly from old friends of his. We just found out more. I found out some shit about my dad. Like last year, man, one of my cousins went back to his college reunion. And was talking to um, this woman who was, my dad went to that same college. And he was talking to this woman and, and something about it. And he's like, yeah, well, I'm, you know, this is, you know, talking about my dad. And she was like, oh, oh, yeah, he used to always sell me pot back in college. And I was like, <laughs> my dad was a weed dealer, dude. Holy shit. I didn't know. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, it makes sense. Um, but um, he, he, he would see the Grateful Dead a lot, um, you know, and they – and he would talk about shows, but we listened to Europe 72. That was kind of, and he loved American beauty, of course, as everyone does. Um, and working man's dead. He would always have those on in the house. But as far as like the dead, way more, like more the live thing, like Europe 72 was just, yeah, like I have his copy, his vinyl copy of Europe 72 in right. my collection right now. So, um, yeah, that was always like, I don't know. That was what I loved so much. Um, and you know, I, um, was, you know, I was, I was a fish kid, you know, from, I was 16, you know, growing up in Northern Wisconsin and the fish would come to Alpine Valley and it created kind of a cultural stir. And, you know, no one I knew in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, listened to fish at, at all. I knew a couple people in Eau Claire and those are the people I kind of bonded with. And one of those people was like, it was Joe Westerland. Right. And we would go, we went to see, um, in 96, we went to Alpine Valley, and that was the first time I hung out with Joe Westerland. Was we went to see fish together. His parents drove us down there. You know, it was pretty great. You know, that, that kind of vibe. Um, you know, but, you know, that was my first introduction into it. So I started to kind of process, you know, growing up with the Grateful Dead more. Once my dad started getting, like, he started seeing some similarities. He was like, oh, this band you like a lot. Oh, he's like, huh. And then we started, you know after like fish kind of like came and left in, in my life and made their influence in me in the way they did. Um, you know, I think that the dead coming in and out, it's like every three or four years, you know, I just find myself just 
you know, with it and with the music. And there's not a tour that goes by in the Hiss van that we don't have like a whole day. If it's the long drive day, we got like New Mexico, Arizona, we're driving on 10, you know, uh, we, we, we'll do a whole, we'll do like, you know, shows in a row. We'll do several show whole shows in a row. And those are always great days. And I don't know. It's great. It's sort of really, it's great as a band member and a touring man, band member um, in a van. And it's a great, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I absolutely love like throwing on a show and we'll just like put on rock in the Rhine or, um, you know, I mean, any of that stuff. Um, and then Hornsby, obviously. Yes. Um, was my first influence as a kid. Um, and I learned, um, I learned the way it is by ear. And the first time anyone heard me play piano in my hometown, no one knew I played piano. Only my my family and my people at my church knew because I would play. But um, I learned the way it is, and I played that um, sort of on accident. Got got like coerced into like playing this talent show, and it was the way it is. So I played. And that year after that, my dad took me to see Bruce um, nice. play like two or three times, and so that was a, that was a big deal because when I met him. Um, he spent a lot of time with me because he found out that I, I learned his tunes and I knew, I knew all of his stuff and I had all this stuff to sign. I had all these questions. And so that was great. Uh, that was a really seminal moment. And I would count that as like, after that, I was like, I'm totally going to be a musician. You know what I mean? I walked away from that conversation with that truth in my mind. And, you know, fast forward 20 years <laughs> or, you know, 23 years later, and we're doing this um, dead comp for the national, for the Desners. And, uh, so we got to get together with like the, my, my old, our old band, Justin and Joe and Brad and I got together go with Bruce. We got to play, you know, uh, black, black money river. And it was so, it was so cool to like, meet Bruce. And then not only that, I spent the day with him, but not only that, because at sunset I get to just like find myself alone with Bruce on this front porch and just like, do you remember this little festival you played in Kadot, Wisconsin in like 1993 with the Allman Brothers band and Eric Burden and the Animals and something? He was like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. You know what I mean? And so I mm-hmm. told him the story of the whole day and he was just tickled, man. He thought it was so funny. He, was, he loved it so much. He was like, dude, that's crazy. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, dude, this is crazy. And now it's funny because he has so many Grateful Dead stories. Right. It's not important. He's Grateful Dead stories are insane. He is a Grateful Dead. He is. Yeah. Uh, he was playing <laughs> piano on my at my first show. Really? Yeah. So, uh, and I grew up, uh, I, I grew up in Virginia, southeastern Virginia, and so the way it is was local boy makes good sort of sort of story, and I had Whoa. that record when it came out, and uh, and so my first Dead show, Bruce Hornsby's up there on keys, I'm like. What, what? Okay, awesome. <laughs> so I was immediately, yeah. you know, locked in with that as much as I, I was for the fact that I was at a dead show, which I was quite primed for too. Man, that's so cool. I love it that he made that move after he had a Grammy for best new artist and how he's top 40 hits with that record. And, and, um, and I love it that his next move after that was just like joining the Grateful Dead. And he said his, Everyone thought he was crazy, man. He said Don Henley was just like, dude, you, what are you doing? You know, he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the fact that he's taking calls from Don Henley at the time. 
yeah. is, you know, is crazy yeah. enough. And then it's Don Henley advising him not to join the Grateful Dead. <laughs> yeah. Or questioning the decision, at least. And Don Henley to come to a show, just come to a show, come to a show, come to a show. And Don Henley just sitting there straight-faced, arms crossed, side <laughs> stage, you know, the whole show, no emotion. And he's like, dude, it was good, wasn't it? And Don was just like, you know, just, just, just kept it stoic. Just wouldn't buy it. Never bought it. I was like, whatever, Don. Uh, but come on, you mentioned us in the cat, the song with the Cadillac. Come on. Oh well. Don. Yeah, man. What are we gonna do? That was my favorite. Yeah, Rainbow I love that Cadillac. Too. My favorite, man. I love that song so much. Um, um, growing up, that was the yeah, my ultimate favorite Bruce Hornsby song was Rainbow's Cadillac. It's great tune. I tell you, it was uh when he toured with the. It was in 98 with the other ones, which was everybody who had been a Grateful Dead yeah. at that point. And they threw in a few guitar players, particularly Steve Kimmock, who's an absolute wonderful player. And they played Rainbow's Cadillac with that band. And just to hear him and Steve Kimmock rolling that, that riff in, in sync together was just... Whew. What a dream. <laughs> so cool. It's so cool, man. It's so cool. I saw um, other ones in uh, 99 with Rusted Root and Hot Tuna at Deer Creek, Deer nice. Creek in Indiana. And uh, that was my first, that was, I was like maybe fresh out of high school. And I was my first time eating goo balls. And I totally ate too much. You know what I mean? I was like, I was laying down for the entire show. You all know, three bands. I couldn't stand up. So that's what I remember about seeing the other ones. In <laughs> it's funny. The first time I went to Deer Creek, I'm pretty sure I ended up laying down on the lawn for a while. Too. <laughs> um, it's kind of a rite of passage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, Phil, again, I'm going to let everybody know again, the record is out June 1st. It's called People Are My Drug. So by the time they hear this, they should be able to find it at all the places they find records, but also particularly at philcookmusic.com, right? Yeah, somewhere yeah, in there. That's the one. And then um and then you're gonna be on the road just a little bit. You got a show in DC and Brooklyn at the end of this week. And then uh you'll be out with His Golden Messenger and back again and they can find all those tour dates also at philcookmusic.com. Do you wanna leave anybody with uh leave us with any kind of parting words? Yeah, it's uh it's just as, as important as ever to realize at this point in time in the universe and in our existence how um, vital um, community and taking risks um, that involve letting yourself go into a community is going to be, I think, a really big theme for how this country moves forward. And um, I know you know that, too, and um, you can trust people. It's, it's not too late to trust people. Yeah, <laughs> you man. can lean into people. It's okay. People want to be leaned into and they want to lean back. They really do. So, I think it's true. Uh, we are the eyes of the world, right? So, Yes, sir. Thank you, Phil. Thank you for coming on. Uh, thanks, Jonathan, so much. All right. So thanks again to Phil Cook. We're going to get down to the final bit of business for this episode we're going to play you some good old grateful dead thanks for sticking around this far so we can get down to a boogie in we're going to play you excerpts from set one of 12981 so i believe it was called the cu event center some of the circulating versions of this listed as the activity center it's at the university of colorado 
in Boulder, Colorado, and the the show is great. It's a great show. So we're just going to look at set one. I think in two weeks we'll come back and we'll talk about set two, and maybe we'll have some other cool treats with us. But um, so here's the thing: it opens with a cold rain and snow, and I've played a few of those lately, so we're going to skip that. And then the next song is the Jack Straw, and you'd think I wouldn't skip that. But this Jack Straw is actually kind of a train wreck. So um, this show is recommended to me by at Queen City Jams on Twitter. That's Jams with a Z. Woo! Yeah, buddy, I said your name and the lightning struck. It's, that just really happened. That's not studio wizardry. Um, anyway, so he recommended this show, and I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And uh, put it on, and Cold Rain is cool. And then Jack Straw is a train wreck. It's just, I'm not going to point any fingers, but somebody completely blows it. Uh, it's worth checking out if you like train wrecks. But the good news is they get right back on track. And uh, that's where we're going to start uh, with A Friend of the Devil and to Little Red Rooster. Uh, take a listen to what Brent's doing on Friend of the Devil, by the way, on the roads. It's really nice. And uh, and the whole thing is just it's really energetic. I dropped the... The cowboy tunes, I do not have a bias against cowboy tunes. It's just a solid and easy edit so we could get to Birdsong. And then there's a uh, Candyman into Cassidy that follows. And then Looks Like Rain into a smoking China Rider. Stick around for the whole thing because it's a smoking China Rider, you guys. And um, yeah, you're going to be glad you did. So once again, thanks for tuning in to the Broke Down Podcast. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on the internets at brokedownpodcast.blogspot.com. The Twitter is Broke Down Pod. Instagram is Broke Down Pod. There's a Facebook, Broke Down Podcast. Go figure. And that's it for me. We'll see you back in a couple weeks. Until then, be well.
Osiris. <laughs>